My name is Chrissy, and uh, we now have the privilege of, of looking into our sermon reading, which is in 2 Timothy, uh, verse, or chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, my name is Murray, and I'm the Youth and Young Adults Minister here at City Church. And it's great to be here today to share from God's Word. But why do we spend so much time listening to this book that's 2,000 years, in some cases much, much older, Surely we've moved on since those days. If we want to be a relevant voice in today's society as a church, then surely we need to adapt to our changing societal norms. I'm sure you've all heard or even had questions like these. And as we do come to look at God's Word today, we'll be thinking about these sorts of issues. But let's pray for God's help as we come to dig into His Word. Heavenly Father, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of you, our Lord, and on your law he meditates day and night. Your word, God, is active and alive, sharper than a double-edged sword. Please, Lord, as we look at your word this morning, the God-breathed words of Scripture, please shape us, preserve us, and change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, last week... Pete took us through the first half of this chapter as we were shown what life in the last days will look like. And remember, these last days are the time between Jesus' life on earth and his coming return. And for all of the many advantages of life this side of, of Jesus, it isn't all sunshine and roses. Paul spoke of the terrible times that would come as we saw a long list of evil practices as people moved from loving God to loving themselves or money or pleasure instead. And we saw a picture of false godliness as false teachers feign godliness and religion for their own advantage. And these evildoers and impostors weren't only a problem in Timothy's day. Today, 2,000 years later, these last days continued. And similarly, we expect to face terrible times and opposition to the true message of God. As in the words of uh, verse 13, evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as Paul speaks about life in these last days, he has just one simple instruction to Timothy. Verse 14. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. 
Paul's one instruction to Timothy in the midst of these terrible times is continue. It seems like a pretty uninspired instruction, doesn't it? A bit like the clueless IT guy who just says, have you tried turning it off and on again? Or the coach who's out of ideas and just tells his team to keep doing what you're doing, eventually it'll come good. And it's actually even more boring than that. The word here doesn't even have any forward motion to it. It's more like stay or remain. It's the same word that Jesus uses in John 15.4 when he says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And this is deliberately in contrast to those evildoers who are progressing and moving on from bad to worse. These evildoers and imposters are moving forward. Timothy, rather, is to hold fast, to stick to what he knows. While others move on, Timothy is to remain steadfast. And this has been Paul's message throughout this letter. In chapter 1, Paul told Timothy to guard the good deposit, to not sway from the gospel message that he had been given. Chapter 2 started with the call for Timothy to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He was to be resolute in this grace, to stand firm in it. And then in chapter 2, verse 8, he was told simply, remember Jesus Christ. This is nothing new for Timothy, but it's what, it's what he's told to continue in, to stay with, to stick to. But that simple task is not always so simple, is it? In the face of increasing pressure, as Paul himself remained imprisoned and facing death, it would have been hard for Timothy to continue as he had begun. And at times it can be hard for us to continue in our faith too, can't it? Sometimes we can be tempted to give up on our faith, to shrink back from it. And sometimes we can be tempted to move on from our faith. Perhaps in the face of persecution or hardship, we might want to step back from our faith. Or it might be as we hear new ideas or get caught up in our progressive society, the temptation will be more for us to move on from our faith, as many have as they try to accommodate Christianity to fit today's modern ideals. This has been much of the issue that has been highlighted by Gapcom over the last couple of weeks. Do we move along with the times of the world around us? On the contrary, Timothy is told to continue in the faith he has been taught. And Paul gives two main reasons that Timothy would do well to continue in what, is, what he has learned. Firstly, from the end of verse 14. Continue, because you know those from whom you've learnt it. Paul reminds Timothy of the trustworthy messengers who have played a part in shaping Timothy and, his, and teaching him his faith. And just as there have been many people in my life, and I suspect in each of yours, I'm sure there would have been many people in Timothy's life who have played this role of trustworthy messenger. That's why the those from whom you have learnt it is in plural. As big and crucial a role as Paul has played in Timothy's life, 
He knows that he has not worked alone. Back in chapter 1, we were told of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice and of their sincere faith. And almost certainly, these godly women are in Paul's mind as he speaks of how Timothy has known the Holy Scriptures since infancy. And what an absolutely vital role we have as parents and grandparents to pass on the faith to these younger generations. But it's not only as parents and grandparents. All of us have the task of being trustworthy messengers. Whether as leaders in creche or youth group, or simply as members of our church family, the trustworthiness of our lives impacts the message about Jesus that we teach. As we live as Christians in our workplace or in our neighbourhood, people will notice how we live, and rightly or wrongly, positively or negatively, will assess our message about Jesus by the trustworthiness of our actions. We're ambassadors for Christ, not only in our teaching, but in every aspect of our lives. Look at how Paul has showed himself as a trustworthy messenger in verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. Back in verse 2 to 5, Paul had given a list of characteristics that mark out people of the last days. And now he gives another list. But this time, it's of his own characteristics, as he commends himself to Timothy as a trustworthy messenger. Timothy knows the things that Paul has taught, having spent so much time with him over many years in various different situations, even being Paul's co-author and scribe for a handful of the other letters in the New Testament. But more than just referring to the trustworthiness of his teaching, his trustworthy message, Paul commends his way of life to Timothy, his purpose, faith, patience, love and endurance. Paul wants Timothy to hold fast to his message because he is a trustworthy messenger. Timothy had seen firsthand Paul straining to share the gospel with those around him. He'd seen Paul living a life of purpose, knowing the importance of the message that he had to share. He had seen Paul's faith as God worked through him in times of flourishing and his patient faith through times of great difficulty. And he'd seen Paul's deep love for those he taught. I'm reminded of that scene in Acts 20 where Paul departs from Ephesus. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Sometimes we can lose sight of Paul as a deeply loving man and consider him merely a firm and true teacher. And so I love this little image at the end of Acts 20. And from earlier in that chapter, we see that Timothy himself was there that day, as well as on many other days where he had travelled and ministered with Paul. Timothy knew Paul. He knew that his manner of life was consistent with the message that he preached. Paul had lived a trustworthy life. Timothy knew that Paul taught the truth of the gospel in the context of a life 
completely shaped by that gospel. And this model life is not only of what Paul himself did, but also in a way of what was done to him. Paul was a model for his persecutions and sufferings. He mentions explicitly the things that happened to him in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. So what happened in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, I hear you ask? Well, you can read about it in Acts 13 and 14. But essentially, on his first missionary journey, uh, Paul and Barnabas were kicked out of Pisidian Antioch, the northernmost point on this map. And from there they moved down to Iconium, where they had to flee even further to Lystra because of a plot to mistreat and stone them. And then, while they were in Lystra, they were eventually attacked and left for dead. It's not the most successful moment of Paul's first missionary journey. But this is what Paul points Timothy to. Timothy himself had actually grown up in Lystra. He would have heard of all these stories of these persecutions. And he also knew that despite these persecutions, Paul would return to all of these places to strengthen the Christians there. Paul cared for the Christians there enough that he would endure and even embrace persecution so that he could strengthen them. It was on Paul's second missionary journey, around five years later, as he came back through Lystra, that he met Timothy, and Timothy joined him on his journeys. And now, as Paul writes this letter, once again he's in prison, seemingly facing death. Yet through all of this suffering and persecution, Paul is a model of patient endurance and faithfulness. He had taken up his cross to follow Jesus. And it's these hardships that again show the trustworthiness of Paul as a gospel messenger. And Paul doesn't see himself as exceptional here. Verse 12, he says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. As we live in these last days, persecution is expected, not just for Paul and Timothy, but for all who seek to live a godly life. That's not to say that we'll be persecuted every minute of every day, or even that we will all at one time or another face violent persecution. But at some point, as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus, as we live out our faith looking so different from the world around us, where evildoers and imposters go from bad to worse, we will be persecuted. If you don't feel like you've been persecuted yet, please don't worry. This is not a test to earn salvation, like we have to be persecuted to be saved. No. Remember Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in him. Guard that message. But persecution is an expectation that as we live godly lives and point others to Jesus, we will face harm and hatred for his name. Are you willing to face persecution for living a godly life in Christ? As Paul wrote this letter, it seems that many were deserting him, maybe thinking that God should grant them a peaceful and easy life for following him. But Paul calls Timothy to remain steadfast, even in the face of hardship and persecution. Timothy is told to continue 
because of the trustworthy messengers who have taught him. But for me, that raises the question of untrustworthy messengers. When I was in high school, we started a youth group at our church. We had just the three leaders. It was my best mate, me, and an older guy who was training us. We'd read the Bible with them each week. We went through a book called Leaders Who Will Last, and we started up youth. It was great. But fast forward 10 years, and my mate and I are still leading. But the guy who had trained us had now walked away from Jesus. He had moved on. He hadn't endured. And that was really hard for me to process. This was the guy who had taught me lots about youth leading, who had encouraged me to persevere and be committed to the long-term discipling of these kids. And now he had fallen away. He had shown himself to be untrustworthy. I'm still thankful that God worked through him to teach me and grow me, but in the end, his life showed him as an untrustworthy messenger. Unfortunately, as we continue in our fallen world, we may all have similar experiences where someone who has taught us the gospel uh, eventually shows himself to be untrustworthy. But we can still continue, even despite untrustworthy messengers. Because ultimately, however we have come to hear it, we have heard a trustworthy message. See, ultimately, it's the Holy Scriptures themselves that make us wise for salvation and that teach and train us for acts of righteousness. These Holy Scriptures are God's useful words that lead to salvation and good works. In verse 16, we have one of the best known and most important statements about the Bible. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. This is so important. All scripture is God-breathed. All those boring genealogies, all those strange verses that can confuse us when we take them out of context, all of them are God-breathed, are inspired by God. And not merely like a beautiful performance may be said to be inspired, but breathed out by God so as to make all of Scripture God's own words. In a miraculous way, God communicated his word to men and led them to write it down for permanent preservation. What they wrote was the very words of God inspired and infallible. Now, now the scriptures in view here are likely the Old Testament. That's what Timothy, Lois and Eunice knew, believed and loved. But there's good reason to see the New Testament as having this same God-breathed authority. In his first letter to Timothy, Paul quoted from the book of Luke and called that New Testament gospel scripture. And, and in Peter, and Peter recognises Paul's letters as scripture in 2 Peter, where he somewhat compliments Paul, saying, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and un unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. So, very conveniently, we have 2 Timothy 3.16, saying that all scripture is God-breathed, and 2 Peter 3.16, saying 
saying that Paul's letters themselves are scripture and therefore God breathed. And what makes this statement even more amazing is that Timothy himself had co-authored some of these letters. Perhaps he had even scribed as Paul dictated to him the very words of God that we find in some of the other New Testament epistles. That's so amazing, isn't it? We hold in our hands the very words of God translated into English. Have you ever been half as amazed as you should be about this? The creator of the universe has breathed out this book. We can read the mind of God as revealed in his scriptures. We have readily available access to knowledge that is unshakably true and infinitely valuable. So do you love, read, meditate on, memorize and study this book in accord with its infinite worth? Do you find time each day to read God's word? Do you spend more time in this unchanging word or in the ever-changing words we read in the newspapers or on social media? Do you discuss the Bible and seek to understand it deeply? Do you read it with your husband or your wife? With your kids? <coughs> Do you make time for it during a busy period at work? Do you make time for it when you're on holidays? Do you value the Bible as God's Word? <clears throat> this is something I'm sure we can all do better at. So keep encouraging one another as we keep growing as people who treasure God's Word. Recently, I found this new game called Versal. Uh, if any of you got into Wordle, it's a little bit like that. But you're given the text of a Bible verse, and you have to give the reference. It's pretty fun, and I'm generally pretty good at it. Last week, I was even, even able to correct when it got one of the references wrong. Uh, it is great to know the Bible, and I can feel pretty good about myself when I pick a reference right. But we're called to even more than that. See, the scriptures are so valuable, because from verse 15, they make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, we don't just read the Bible and memorise the Bible because that's what saves us. God isn't going to check how many memory verses we know or how many times we've read through the Bible cover to cover. But through these scriptures, we are taught about Christ Jesus. We are called to place our faith in him. The trustworthy message of the Bible leads us ultimately to faith in the trustworthy Word of God Himself, Christ Jesus. These God-breathed words of Scripture lead us to faith in the incarnate Word of God, who at the cross gave His last breath so that we may live with Him forever. Isn't that amazing? And we could say so much more. These God-breathed words of Scripture are useful for teaching rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. The Bible teaches us how to live now in these last days. Sometimes rebuking, sometimes correcting us, but always training us for the good works that God has prepared for us to do. So, as Paul writes to Timothy, he reminds him of the trustworthy messengers who have taught him the gospel, through the lives of his mother Lois, 
his grandmother Eunice and the Apostle Paul, as well as many others. Timothy came to know the Holy Scriptures. And these trustworthy messengers have passed on the trustworthy message of the Gospel that has brought him to faith in the trustworthy Word, Jesus Christ, and now continues to shape him. So Paul's one instruction to Timothy is to continue to stand firm in what he has learned. And maybe that instruction is the same for you. I suspect many of us need to keep hearing that same instruction. Keep going. Don't shrink back from the gospel. Don't turn away from it. Don't move on from it. Remain in Christ. But for others of us, maybe today God is telling you that you do need to change. That you actually need to start taking God's word seriously that you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ and find salvation through him. Whatever it is for you, God's word is active and alive, and we would do well to keep being shaped by it. So let's continue in this trustworthy message of the gospel. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your trustworthy message preserved for us in the scriptures that your word brings salvation and is useful as we're prepared for works of righteousness. And Lord, we thank you for the trustworthy messengers who have taught us your word. May we grow as we seek to be trustworthy messengers, sharing the good news of your son Jesus to all around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.